Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 18. It is in the middle of your Bible. If you have your Bible on your iPhone, it's like in the middle of where you can push for all the different books. Just push Psalm and go to 18. And as you're turning there, I want to make a statement. And the statement is this. You and I were made to live in a state of perpetual gratitude. We were made to be able to experience true joy, true contentment, and true peace only when we are living in a place of continuous, ongoing, perpetual gratitude. If you are living in a state of ingratitude or even just non-gratitude or indifference, it will be impossible for you to truly have joy in your life. If you go through your life with a sense of victimization, a sense that you've been owed something, that you've been taken advantage of, and that you need to get vengeance somehow on whatever system or person or whatever has ripped you off. You will never experience what God has intended you to experience, and that is this wonderful, peaceful, indwelling sense of gratitude. In fact, you will go your entire life with a soul disability. You will have a disability in your soul if you do not have gratitude in your heart. And at best, your life will be a missed opportunity, and at worst, a disaster and a tragedy. Because you and I were lived to, to, you and I were designed to live in a constant, continuous state of gratitude. You are never more attractive. You are never more useful. You are never more holy than when you stand blown away by what's been done for you. I realize as I say this right now, you might be in the midst of some great disappointment or great sorrow in your life. And you're saying, you know, Tim, I walked in here and I get that, but my grief is overshadowing any kind of gratitude I could have right now because the rug has been pulled out from under me. I've experienced this terrible thing and I'm trying to deal with it right now. And if that's you, I get it. I understand. But here's, I want want to address that because I want you, as we dig into this today, I want you to hear what I'm telling you. There are seasons in life where things will happen in this broken and fallen world that will make it very hard for you to live in a state of gratitude because that grief will overcome or kind of cancel out that gratitude for a season. But what I'm trying to tell you today, and I think you can understand, even if you're in that place, is long-term, big picture, your life should be marked by that where there may be seasons of challenge and grief and difficulty and pain and sorrow hopefully you can get back to that place where you live in that constant state where that's your default setting is gratitude. And so if it's true that gratitude is the secret to life, and it really is, 
It is the essence of everything. To be able to capture that and find that and somehow live in that place is the secret to everything. It's not monetary. It's not you. It's not a matter of you achieving all your goals. It's not where you live. It, it, has, so, it has nothing to do with any of those things. It is, it is that place in your life when you can find gratitude and truly find it and live in it. That is the secret to life. And if it's so important, then how do you get it and how do you keep it? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And that's exactly what this entire psalm is all about. And so in Psalm 18, we read the first, the first verse right out of the gate without pulling any punches. David, King David of Israel says this to God. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. If you want to know how to get gratitude, if you want to know where it starts, it begins with gut level true, authentic, real love for God. You see, you may be in here today and you say, well, I, I believe in God. I, I acknowledge the existence of a deity. I, 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 I get there has to be someone who, who started all this. There's some being or force out there. I can intellectually acknowledge his existence. That's fine. But what I want to ask you is, do you love God? Jesus said that of all of the laws in the Old Testament that are good laws, a lot of them, they're not bad. Things like don't kill people and don't steal things and don't sleep with other people's spouses. This is good stuff. Of all of those things, the number one most important one was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, with all that's in within, within you, with everything you've got, love God. And you have to ask yourself, why is that the first one? Why isn't it, you know, help the poor or be gluten-free or debt-free or carbon-free or whatever? Why, are the, why, isn't she, why is it that loving God has to be the greatest thing? It's important that we ask ourselves those kinds of questions. Why is it so important that Jesus says, you know, if you want to understand what this life's all about, you've got to love God with everything you've got. And it's more than just simply saying, oh, I believe that there must be a being out there somewhere because I'm just, that's logical to me. No, God says, David out of the gate says, God, I love you. Like, I just, I can't help myself. I'm not setting anything up. I'm just coming right out. I love you. God, you are my rock. You are my strength. And he goes on to say, why? He says, this is why he loves him. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. This is in verse two. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. In other words, the power of what saves me. My stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Now why is he going on and on about this? What, what is this? What's the deal with this? Well, the reason is because he's saying with all authenticity and all just like gut level, here I am, I believe this with all my heart, that God, without you intervening in my life, without you stepping in, without your presence and your love and your power, I'd be a dead man. I know it. I know it. I'd be a dead man. And so what he says, and look at verse four. He says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, which is kind of like, you know, the grave basically, or the, you know, the, the, the place of the dead entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. As far as he was concerned, he was good. He was as good as dead. And he loves God and 
the reason he expresses so much passion for guys is, God, I know who you are. You, you love me and you save me. You rescue me. And that leads me to the second thing. So the first thing is, is if we're going to be people who experience true gratitude in our life, it starts with not just saying, well, you know, I know that there's a God out there, but actually saying, God, I love you. I love you with all my heart. You are more important to me than anything in the world, more important to me than anything I could strive after, anything that I don't have, or keeping anything that I do have. God, you are above all of those things. It begins there, but it continues on because the second thing, if you're going to develop gratitude, the kind of gratitude that develops, that brings peace, and joy and contentment and fulfillment that brings you to the highest level of humanity. You've got to know where it is that you came from. And David knew where he had come from. You see, in context, before he became the king of Israel, there was a previous king of Israel named King Saul. And King Saul was an insecure, angry, vengeful, violent guy who pursued David, not just personally, but with his entire army to kill him. He wanted nothing more in his life than to put David into the ground. And so there was a point where David actually thought, this is it. He is dead. And you listen to that language, the cords of death, the ropes around him, tangling up, dragging him. It's like something out of a horror movie, you know, where you've got these, just, you're like being pulled into the grave. You're being sucked down. That's what it felt like for him. Have you ever been in a place like that where you honestly thought, man, I'm dead? Maybe it was one of those things where, and you know what these kind of events that happen. You know, you might be in a situation where you have a car accident or you barely avoided a really tragic car accident or you got in a car accident and you lived and you thought you were going to die. Maybe you got a, a, a very bad like cancer diagnosis and you thought, man, I should be dead by now and you're not. Or maybe there's some other kind of thing, some near brush with, with death and you survive, and there's almost like, you make it through that, and you're like, whoa, whoa. You know, and it's, it's, like a, it's almost like a rush. Winston Churchill said, um, there's nothing more exhilarating than being shot at without result. You know, to have bullets flying past you and none of them hit you. Like, that's just like a crazy rush kind of a feeling. And David experienced that because he's looking back, and he goes, I should have been dead, but God, you saved me. But here's the thing. Because if you think about it, is there really anything more that would produce gratitude in your life? A deeper sense of gratitude than being rescued from death. Can you think of anything more that you could possibly be high, more highly grateful for than being rescued from death? Probably not. But the problem is, not all of us are in that situation, right? I mean, you're like, well, okay. I mean, I may have had a couple of, but I can't really think of like David's situation. I never had an army coming. I've never had a miraculous saving, right? I never had a miraculous kind of, oh, I should have been dead, but I mean, I, I can't just, I can't get that out. So I guess, yeah, I mean, I love God, but I can't really, I, I can't really get there the way that David got there. And you might say, Tim, I've never really been in that spot. I've never had the cords of death around me. I've never had the snares of death confronting me. But I would say, Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And some of you may have them around your neck right now, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. You see, if you do not have God intervene and save you and rescue you from the snare of death before it's too late, 
You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. It's true. You see, there's something more than just losing your physical life. There's something more than that. You're not just in danger of physical death because we're all going to physically die. Even if you're rescued 50,000 times from death, you're going to physically die. No, there's something much deeper and much more, has much greater impact on your soul, and that is eternal death. That is missing all of eternity. That is being in danger of separation from God forever. If you don't believe me, in case you have any doubt about that, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. In the New International Version, it says this, the New Testament. It says, as for you, you were dead. Dead person can't make themselves alive again. That'd be really creepy. You ever been at a funeral where like the guy pops out? They're like, whoa. Dead guy can't raise himself up. You were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. See, you and I, what the Bible's saying is that we all entered this world and without the intervention of God, what we all start out with, not, I mean, myself included, I'm in here with everybody else here, with these courts of lust, pride, greed, bitterness, hate, and all this stuff that just cinches up on us more and more and more and more as life goes on. And they produce things like addiction and violence and envy and abuse and lies and gossip and broken promises. And they wreak havoc on our lives. They destroy us from the inside out. And they wreak havoc on the lives of everyone around us as we live those things out. And people become victims of our words and our lies and our addiction and our abuse and our insecurity and our anger. They become victim after victim after victim that we make by how we live our lives and how we raise ourselves up arrogantly above others. Oh, but you don't do that, do you? Let me ask you a question. When you die, do you expect to get rewarded for the thoughts in your head? The thoughts you had in your head when you were alive on this earth? Do you expect to get rewarded for that? Do you expect God to go, wow, I so love the things that you spent time thinking about while you were on planet Earth. I love how you thought about all those people and the people closest to you. I love those things. Do you expect him to do that? I don't. Do you expect to be rewarded for the lust in your heart, for the jealousy and hatred that courses through your veins? through the deception and the gossip and the tearing down of others that comes out of our mouths, do we expect to get heaven for that? You think you're going to get heaven for that? Every single one of us, according to Scripture, was born with the cords of death wrapped around us. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what it says. And I'm in the same boat with the rest of you. Because all of us would have been headed that direction. Headed to be sentenced for those crimes were it not 
for the intervention of God. Were it for not for God stepping in and intervening, intervening and doing something to rescue us. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, in other words, entangled with all this ugliness, with all this pride and grossness and arrogance and greed and lies and all this stuff, while we were in that place, Christ died for us because, as David says in Psalms, he loves us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, listen to this, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The righteous wrath of God, by the way. Well, the wrath of God, that sounds really mean. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's righteous. When, does, when someone does something brutal against someone else, you expect anger for what that person has done. We live in a society that loves to tout its tolerance. I've never seen so much quote-unquote righteous anger flying around the internet than I have in the last few weeks about everything and anything. And yet right here is where Christianity clashes violently with secularism. Please understand that. Violently. Because the secularist, the humanist, has nothing to be grateful for and no one to be grateful to. You hear that? They have nothing to be grateful for and no one to be grateful to because there is no one to rescue them and there is no person to rescue. So I don't need to be rescued and there's no one to rescue me. So there is no occasion or purpose or understanding or logical um, foundation of gratitude at all. And if you're a secularist, I'm not trying to put you down. I, I that's not it. That's not that. I'm just trying to point it out. It's, it's, it's the core of what you believe. It's just fact. You know, we're all tied up in this political thing, and everyone's so worried. If this person gets into office, the country's doomed. And if this person gets into office, the country's doomed. And we think we have a political problem in our country. We do not have a political problem. The political problems we have are symptoms of a deeper problem. And what is the deeper problem, my friends? Spiritual problems. That's the problem. The problem is spiritual. And one of my biggest fears for us as a church is that we misdiagnose the ills of our society and we think that the problem is political when it's not political. It is, by, is fundamentally spiritual. And if you miss the spiritual in pursuit of the political, you've missed everything. You see, because Karl Marx on the far left said man is free only if he owes his existence to himself. Do you hear gratitude there? And Ayn Rand, the hero of the far right. Man's destiny is to be a self-made soul. The far left, the far right, both say the same thing. It's all about me. I am the captain of my own soul. So if that's the case, you have nothing to be grateful for and no one to be grateful to. And the problem is you're still sentenced to die. So when you die, this is why every atheist is bitter at the end of their life because they go, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why am I, why do I have a, why do I have a disease? This, this, is, this, this world is just cold and bitter and de- like fate is, is, you know, is evil and this world is terrible and they can see nothing good because they actually thought for some reason that they were going to live forever. Hello? And so when they come to the end of their life, they go, well, I'm going nowhere to no one and now I'm mad about it. You see this with every, here's the problem. 
So you have, you have Marks and you have Rand, both saying the same thing, that it's up to me, that I am the one. I should bow the knee to nobody. I should say thank you to nobody. I should live in gratitude to nobody except myself. And guess what? They're dead. Where are they? Who saved them? What did, who saved Marks? Who saved Rand? Who saved Hitchens? Did they save themselves? Did their philosophy work? Did they owe their existence to themselves? Their existence is gone, so obviously they failed. You might be grateful as a secular person for the occasional sunrise or the sunset, but who, do you, who are you grateful to? I'm so grateful that I get to see the sun. To who? Chance? Fate? Do you think chance knows your name? Do you think fate cares about you? Do you think fate thinks about you? What are, you, what are we even talking about? We're talking about nothing, nothing. And I only speak this stridently up here because you never hear this anywhere else. Please understand, I'm a Christian, not because I was born Christian. Please don't put me down. Tell me I'm a Christian because I was born Christian. That's an insult. You're just that way because you're too stupid to know anything different. <laughs> no, I'm a Christian because I love truth. And if you're not a Christian, I assume you love truth too. So let's go on the journey together. Can we figure out what's true? Because I'm telling you, if, if there was something I could find that would enlarge my soul bigger, if there was something I could find that could help me grasp and live in a state of gratitude, if there was something that could blow my heart away more than knowing that I had the cords of death and I was the ugliest person I know, and even in the midst of that, God came in and rescued me from myself. If you can tell me something better than that, I swear I'll believe it. But after four years of, of undergraduate and many, many more years of postgraduate and doctoral studies and reading everything I could find, I continued to remain unimpressed. And all I'm asking is that you have the same honesty as I do. Let's go on this together. You see, we were made to live in a state of perpetual gratitude. And if that's true, you gotta be, find something to be grateful for that enlarges your soul more than anything else. And I'm telling you that when you live in that state the way David did, and he looks back and his heart is full. The Bible says you were dead. And it would have stayed that way if it were not for the third thing that we need to be grateful for, which is this. Gratitude thrives on the grace of Jesus. Thrives on the grace of Jesus. It explodes. It explodes. It grows exponentially. The, the more that you go through your life, when you realize what has been done for you, where you were, who God is, where you were, and who Jesus is and what he's done, it never gets old. It only gets more incredible to realize the infinite heart and depth of the love of God as expressed through Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 2.4. Before, remember it said, but you were dead? Look what it says in verse 4. But because of his what? Great indifference to us? His great annoyance with us? His great anger with us? No, no, no. His great love for us. 
We, we preach about a God who loves us. God who's rich in mercy made us alive. You guys, that is the opposite of Marx and Rand. That is the opposite of Hitchens and everybody else. And all these other guys is opposite of your professors at ASU. You know, it's, it's I am the one who's responsible for my own existence. I am the one responsible for actualizing myself. This says, no, God made you alive. He made you alive. He acted upon you. You're just dead. Dead person can't raise themselves up. We were made alive with Christ. Look at this. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. For no reason. See, the reason why this is more powerful than just simply being a random person, you know, hanging on the edge of a cliff and some random guy happened to come by and go, oh, this person's hanging from a cliff. We should save them and, you know, risk life and limb to save you. No, the difference is you were guilty. You and I were guilty. You and I didn't deserve what, what God has given us. And that's why what we see here is against all the odds. That's why the sermon is called Against All Odds. This shouldn't have happened. We don't see this anywhere in the world. We don't see this kind of mercy. We don't see this level of grace. We don't see this full picture of all that I needed to be saved from and a God who can completely save me from it. We don't see that anywhere in the world because we've been hurt and we've had to deal with an eye for an eye and all this kind of stuff throughout our lives. We have people walk out and abandon us. And so the idea of a God who would know all of my sin and yet still love me and still want to cleanse me and still want to redeem me is foreign to us because it couldn't come from the world. It had to come from outside of the world. And it was against every odd. Nobody expected. Nobody expected what Jesus did. Not even those who were closest to him. And that's why they were blown away. And so David says in this psalm, he sees the mercy of God. This is again before Jesus, of course. But he sees the character of God. And so he writes about it. He said, he sent from on high. And he took me and he drew me out of many waters. And he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You see, there's been vindication. There's been redemption. When I think of who I was before Jesus found me, when I think of what I would have become. You're looking at a guy who would have been a nightmare without Jesus. A nightmare. I know what I would want to do. I know how deep selfishness runs in me. And if I believed I only had a few short decades before my soul was extinguished and I just blended into the cosmos or whatever crazy thing you want to say, I would squeeze every last drop out of every person I could for my own devices. I, I swear to you, I would. It would make no logical sense for me to live any other way. 
and I know who I was before I came to Jesus. As a fool, young man, a lot of young men are fools, dies a big fool. St. Augustine said, narrow is the mansion of my soul. God, enlarge it that you may enter in. It is ruinous. Repair it. It has that within it which must offend your eyes. I confess and I know it. But who shall cleanse it? Or to whom shall I cry, save you? Lord, cleanse me from my secret faults and spare your servant from the power of the enemy. See, you can read Psalm 18 about sending, coming down from on high and, and rescuing you because the enemies were too strong. I can read that for myself and I can read and I can say, God, you did that for me. The enemies of my soul were too strong. I can't save myself. What a joke. What a joke. So finally, so the, the thing I'm trying to say, you see this, this pattern of this, this progression in the psalm. God, I love you. You're all I care about. Because I know where I came from. I know where I was. I know how bad things were. I was head for the ground. See, if you don't believe that, I get it. You're just, it's not going to be, you're like, I don't, I don't what I'll be grateful to God for. I mean, I, I'm pretty good. I don't need God. That's cool. But when you really see where you were, or maybe even where you are, and then you realize the power of Jesus stood in your place, became all that, wrapped those cords of death around himself. <laughs> wrapped your cords of death around himself. That's what the Bible says. He became sin for us. He didn't just, he became sin. Like, that was like, the Father looked upon him as sin. I mean, that's just, and then it lifted all that off of us. And that's what we believe. I, I, I don't know how you, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know what else is bigger. Because what happens now is this is the fourth thing. Gratitude recognizes all of life is God's gift. So any strength that I have, any good fortune that I have, any success that I have, any talents that I have, I give back to God. Listen to what David says. He says, for who is God but the Lord? Now I know you're going to, that's confusing. They had all kinds of different gods back then, kind of like we do now, but the Lord is the name of, is Yahweh, okay? So who, who is in charge? Who's, who, is there any other God except the one we believe in? So people get mad at Christians because, oh, you guys believe that you're God, you're the, only, you're the way, is the only way. That's not the issue. The issue is we just, no one's ever, there's no other God that's done what our God's done. So, you know what I mean? So we're just, we think all the other gods, no offense, just kind of suck because, None of them claimed to, to do what our God did for us. In, and, they, and they couldn't, what, what, what can a God who tells me to, to, to claw my way to heaven do for me? Nothing. Can't help me. I'm too far gone, man. I'm dead. What you try to communicate with a dead person? What kind of lame God is that? The God's got to make you alive first. No other God's, no other God's claim to do that. So David's saying, who's, who's, who do I, who do I possibly give any kind of gratefulness to but this one? And who is the rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? 
He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure in the heights. He trains my hand for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. In other words, what I can do, I can shoot arrows. I can run like crazy and hop over walls. I can do it. Why? Because he gave me those abilities. I didn't just make myself. I can, he train. Yo, I train myself. No, he trains you. He gives, he puts all the muscles and neurons and whatever in your brain so you can communicate and everything. He's the one. Did you make yourself? You didn't make yourself. He made you. You've given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You give me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. And so what happens is like I understand that, that where I was and then now when I live the rest of my life, I, I look at everything and I'm blown away that, that God knew, knew me when I was in the midst of my sin and rescued me and saved me and now still sustains me to this day. And everything that I have belongs to him. Everything, every fact that I take a breath, that, that's because of him. And I can look at all these things I don't have and all the, and I can, and I'm telling you guys, this culture is pumping victimization into you like an IV, man. Look at the, look at the 1% and look at these people and look at this guy and all these stupid memes and all this ridiculous, foolish stuff that's trying to make you feel like you're not good enough or like you don't have this or have that. You have breath in your lungs and you, if you know Jesus, have eternity. And you didn't deserve it. And you want more? I don't get it. A few weeks ago, Jude and I caught up with some friends of ours who were in town. We hadn't seen them in a long time. And he played about a 12 years for, um, in Major League Baseball for different teams. He was good. He was good. He made the All-Star team a few times. And um, just great career. Stayed in for a long time. And was very successful. And so we, 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 they were in town. We met him for dinner. And we were chit-chatting with him and talking about how, you know, the process of retirement. You know, he's in, he's in his late 30s now and kind of going that, what a lot of guys do in their early 30s, kind of make that shift from the major leagues into another part of life. And as we were talking, it just blew me away because both of them, they love Jesus and as he was talking, he saw baseball as a gift. And he just says, you know, it's so cool that there were guys that I was playing with on certain teams, and, and now they're, I, I, I'm seeing them get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And he goes, it's just so cool for me to think that I played on the same team with the guy that's going to the Hall of Fame. I thought, how cool is that? Like, why didn't he say, you know, I should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why those guys aren't in the Hall. I should be in the Hall of Fame. And they said, Tim, you know, it was so cool because I remember the first time I, I, I hit against Randy Johnson. He goes, I was so scared. You know, I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And then, and then a few years later, he said, I hit him against him again, and I got a home run off him. He's like, I got a home run off of Randy Johnson. He's like, isn't that the coolest thing ever? He said, I used to play video games with Randy Johnson as the pitcher. <laughs> and I did it in real life. And I'm listening to this guy, and I'm going, he— he doesn't think he deserves baseball. He's, he's just happy to be there. And, and as we were talking to this couple, like they're the most generous, humble, unassuming, gentle, joyful people you'd ever meet in your life. 
Oh yeah, they've got money. Oh yeah, they've got fame. I mean, you know, you Google the guy, he's, you know who he is. But you know, it was, it was, a, it was a, like a sermon to me. This guy doesn't, he's like, no, this, this is God. This comes from God. I, I'm just happy I was able to do this. I was happy I was able, I, I didn't see myself at the level of these guys. I, I just, I'm just glad God gave me the ability and opportunity. A hundred thousand different things could have been different in my DNA and opportunity to wherever else. And, and God just get blessed. That's how you live your life. That's how, you, that's how you, you, you prevent yourself from becoming somebody who gains the world and loses their soul. Because you're still not good enough. I said, I don't deserve that. I know what God's done for me. And so today, I'm telling you, and, and I've experienced this in my own life. That's why I think it's so important. Some of us today, we, we kind of we got to get to the end of ourselves here. I love you, but you're not a victim. Yeah, you may have been victimized. You may have had terrible people do terrible things to you. I get it. But if you live the rest of your life that way in bitterness, they will take more than just your innocence or some years off your life. They will steal your soul. And they shouldn't be able to have that. Today, what you need to do is you need to start by saying, you know what, God? I don't even deserve to be here. There's a rabbi who said, who said, my being, I, I didn't bring myself into being. I, my being is here because it obeyed the saying, let there be. That's all I'm, someone said, let there be. God said, let there be, and that's why I'm here. Some of us need today to say, God, I, I, I have these cords of death around me. I got addiction, I got abuse, I got anger, I got jealousy, I got bitterness, I got rage, I got, I have self um, aggrandizement, I've got self justification, I am, I've, I've walked around so much like, like, uh, like I've got a bone to pick with the world, and that's just wrong. God, it's because of you that I even have, I draw a breath, and to realize when I really think about if were I to be judged by my thoughts and my intentions, were I to be judged by the, by the fire that has come out of my mouth, God, I do not deserve heaven. God, I need, to res- I need you to rescue me because I only have so much time. I have a death sentence and it could be 10, 15, 20, 50 years before I meet it, but I will meet it and I have the cords of death and I feel him pulling me down. God, please rescue me. And he will. He will. I believe when a person comes to the place in their life where they feel like their sins need to be forgiven is where their sins are forgiven. The, the scariest thing is when I meet someone who calls himself a Christian but doesn't really understand why they need to be saved. I'm like, eh. I think you gotta go back and do a little remedial studying here. So today I'm challenging those of you who have not yet placed your faith in Jesus to do that and not for my sake. I don't care if you come to this church. I don't care what you do. I just, I just care about you. And, I, and, and it's just like overflowing. Like I'm, I, I'm up here because of what's been done for me. You know what I'm saying? So today just say, God, take these cords off of me. Rescue me. I'll be grateful to you forever. And you will discover peace. You will discover joy. You will discover just not feeling like you need what you thought you needed, what you've been striving so hard to get. Others of us, you know, we call ourselves Christians, but we've been acting like the world owes us everything. You got to go back and you got to remember where you were, brother, sister. You got to remember where you were. 
And by the way, that comes with our interactions with other people too. I was talking with someone about this yesterday. I got to remember who I was before Jesus found me, and that helps me become less judgmental of the people around me who are dealing and stuck in their own sin. And God's opened my eyes, but they had to be opened. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Two things, two things, very direct. If you're not a believer here today, I just want to challenge you to consider giving your life to Jesus Christ. Walking away from your sin. Being rescued by God. If you are a Christian, I want to challenge you. If you're going after stuff that you think you deserve for whatever reason, and you have not been happy, and you've been anxious, and you've been, Ugh, remember where you were, and let yourself return to the grace of Jesus and what's been done for you. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you're saying, you know what? Man, I gotta, I gotta surrender some stuff, man. I, I don't have it all figured out, but that's the point is I'm, I'm, I'm dead. Just tell God, God, I'm dead. I don't have a prayer without you. I, I, I echo that whole psalm of David. I, <laughs> I need to be rescued. God, thank you that I can be forgiven today. Thank you that I can, I can be washed clean today because of the cross. Because my sins have been paid for. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. There was nothing I did. It was all you. So today I give you my heart. I give you my life. I, I'm grateful because I know who I am and yet you love me anyway. God, I'm grateful for that. And if you pray that prayer, I believe that your sins have been forgiven. And I believe that you're made alive. Because he's shown you the way. For the rest of us that maybe do know Jesus, but we're kind of acting like we don't, God, we, we confess to you that it's so easy for us to forget where we came from. To forget what it took to rescue us. And because of that, we've been kind of running around a little immature, needy, angry. God, blow us away every day with gratitude. Put in front of our eyes every day the wonder of your grace, the beauty of your mercy, for I did not deserve it. And without you, I would be dead. And so every day I treasure, every day we treasure, every sunset, every breath, every life, every, every meal, every walk, every relationship. God, is just another act of your mercy. Thank you that we're not self-made because we would be disasters. We are you-made. We have been redeemed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.